0: Hello once again, and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the show where I talk to developers, programmers, and coders of all types who are in business for themselves, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are. So if you're a coder who wants to get into business, or if you're already in business and you want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 14 with Kitsay. My guest today is Kitse. He is a JavaScript developer and the founder of React Academy, where he teaches React and GraphQL around the world. He's the maker of Sizzy, the browser for designers and developers, and he's documenting his journey building Sizzy on YouTube. He's made products like JSUI, Twizzy, Lucky Retweet, OK Google, and more. Kitse, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, and thanks for inviting me.
0: You know, I've been very curious uh, about chatting uh, with you ever since I read this article that you put out uh, titled, the article title is GitHub Stars Won't Pay Your Rent. And, it's very uh, click
1: That was that was the goal. <laughs>
0: that was the goal, and uh, it seemed to work quite well. I think it's it's made the rounds uh, across the internet. Uh, very cool article. We'll we'll dive into that uh, a bit more. But maybe first, take us uh, back to how you got your start, and maybe in particular how you got started uh, building products, and and maybe how you got started building so many products.
1: All right. So the first thing that I put out was a product. Okay, and then I'll stop for a while until I see the second part, Google, because if I set it together, a bunch of assistants would activate. And it was just a list of, uh, of commands for the Google Assistant because I was struggling. So th- this is my model. Like the first, The first heading of the article was like, solve your own problems and everything else will follow. So I I was and I still am a huge fan of Android and I love this voice assistant and stuff. So every once in a while I would Google about what are the latest commands? What did they add to the assistant? What can I ask the assistant? But it got old pretty fast because every time they would add new commands and there wasn't like a central repository where you can find all of them. So I decided to solve my problem just for me and for everyone else who's interested in this. So I made that product where I listed an interactive list of all the commands. So as you hover the list, you would see every variation of each command. So it got pretty popular. And I didn't have any particular goal in mind. I just wanted to make something that will solve uh, s- solve a problem, basically. But Tank- TechCrunch and The Verge and a bunch of other like popular blogs and publications just posted about it, and it blew up. So people started following me on Twitter. So even though I didn't make any money out of that product, I got a lot of followers, I got a lot of... Uh, I don't know, I didn't have any goal, but I think I got a lot out of just releasing that product. I was planning to open source it, but at the end I didn't want to bother with maintaining it and updating it with all the commands because Uh, I found out that Google actually isn't interested in having like a central repository of commands. And I was like, why would they not want that? Because they would want you to feel that this assistant can do anything, not just a finite list of commands. So they didn't want to put like a a definite list of what the assistant can do because they want you to talk to it. Like whatever comes to mind, you should be able to ask it. Hmm. So that was the first thing that I did. And it was, yeah, just completely free. I spent a lot of time on it, just the design, the animation. Like I went very overboard with the animation and animations and crazy animations are something that i think that can kind of sell the product for you so if you have like a you know what makers say like just ship the minimum viable product you don't have to uh work months on it blah 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 but i believe like if you spend a little bit more time on the landing page on the animation of the like you do something that's gonna make people like, holy crap, this is actually amazing. I love this animation. And then just because of the design or the animation, they share your product. So I went overboard and I spent, I don't know, I, I don't remember, it was a couple of years ago, but for sure I spent one, two weeks just on the animation and everyone who I was working with, I was working in a coworking space, they were like, dude, just launch this. Nobody cares about the animation. And then it turns out people who tweeted about it in every second tweet, they were like, holy crap, look at the animation. So I think that would be one good advice. Like sweat the animation to the max and then you might get like natural growth and sharing from people just because you spend time on some minor detail.
0: That's interesting, yeah. and you know, like you were saying, the the advice commonly is like, don't worry too much about the design and the aesthetic right out of the gate. Because really what you want to do is just get your product out there. Worry about making it look nice later. Um, And I read something, I think it was yesterday, where it was talking about how like really nice websites, if they're really well done and they look really good they they might look really good, but they might fail to convert uh, people into customers or users of the product, product, because the product itself is not where it needs to be. Yeah. And then conversely, if you have a product that is really good, you might have a terrible looking website, but it can still convert because it's the product itself. It sounds like though, what you really hit on was you had a really good product and also a really good website. So that probably just multiplied the effect of getting it out into yeah, the world. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so Sizzy, uh, you know i I've, I followed the journey a little bit uh, since you launched uh, the recent incarnation of it. I didn't really I wasn't oh. familiar with Sizzy uh, previously, but I've sort of been mm-hmm. reading about what uh, what you've done with it. Uh, tell us about Sizzy, how it
1: started, uh, and then the progression to where it is now. So I, it started two thousand seventeen when I was still working for for a client. I was still freelancing. And they were very nitpicky, they wanted like the variation of the side that I was working. They wanted it to work on all the screens in all like portrait landscape, small screen, big screen, tablet, rotated, like... And every time I had to change something in the website, I had to go through like 20 versions of it in Mm. Chrome. It was driving me crazy. And I got the idea like what if I put all of these fake devices uh, into like iframes with different widths and just test if this is going to work. And I just tweeted about it. Hey, is anyone interested in actually working on this? Do does anyone need this? And people were like, Yeah, we need this. We don't wanna spend time on this. And it looked like it's it looked like a goal that cannot be achieved. Like everything that CZ is now, it back then in 2017, it looked like it's completely impossible. Hmm. So I was like, This is gonna be an iframe, but it's gonna be so far from a real device, we'll never get like something similar to an actual device. So I just started iterating on it. I added like zooming in and out and multiple devices and uh landscape and portrait and a couple of things like settings filtering devices and stuff and i just open sourced it and there was a lot of attention there are a lot of people who start the repo the analytics were going crazy because people needed this the thing is i stopped freelancing shortly after after i launched this so i just moved on to doing workshops i i made react academy and i just started traveling a lot and i moved out of the netherlands stopped working for clients and i wasn't because as I said, I made CZ for me, basically, to solve my own problem. And as soon as I didn't have that problem anymore, I was like, okay, this is good enough, I don't care. I'm not gonna I'm not going to work on it anymore. I'm not gonna improve it until I need it again. And then after like the hype for workshops and everything else died down a little bit, I started working on other projects again and the same problem arise. Like, how do I do responsive design in Google Chrome? Like, it's pretty annoying. So I went back to CZ like, last year, 2018, And when I saw how it works and and looks, I was like, wait, why do people use this? Like it could be so much better and still the analytics were going crazy. As I said, like I had above 7,000 unique users every month. So seven to 10,000 users every month. And I was like, maybe if we make this a proper browser, so we, we like kill the web app and we actually move it to Electron and actually make it like a real browser with all the features. And my goal was like, I wanted to make it something that I would use daily. Mm -hmm. and even though right now like we made it a browser it's an electron app you install it and it's like way better like it's so far away from the initial web app it's still not at the place that i want it to be so now i'm forcing myself to use the app to build landing pages like every friday so i can see from a user perspective what are the shortcomings of the app and how we can improve it so although we got it to some level i still want to improve it to to the next level
0: that's really cool it's it's Good and and it's it's an awesome sort of achievement where you've you've gotten it to now, but it's it's even more awesome I think that you're continually iterating on it and yeah. making upgrades. And I see a lot of these upgrades that you're you're putting out. Uh, you know, you're tweeting out quite often that you've got a a, a new uh, version to download. So uh, yeah. that's that's great. And and the feedback has been amazing. Uh, so if people haven't checked it out already, uh, it's Sizzy. What's what's the website for it? We'll link it up. But uh, it's, it's sizzy.co and also Cizzy.app. Okay, perfect. So we'll link that up, but check it out. It's a, it's a great tool if you're needing to build uh, responsive websites. Um, a theme I think that we're starting to touch on is that you solved your own problem for this product, for your previous products. Uh, you made something for yourself first. And, um, you know, I, I, hear this advice quite often, and I think that a lot of developers get excited about ideas and ideas for things yeah. that, you know, might be cool if they made and maybe somebody will use it, but they're not really sure. Do you think a lot of developers who want to build products, um, kind of get uh, it wrong when they start out thinking that, Hey, I'll build something that's, you know, maybe will be useful, but it's not really something I want. Do you see that as a common pattern that people are, are doing?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a common pattern. And I think a lot of people are driven by the wrong goals. So they see that something is successful. For example, something paid is successful. And they're like, holy fuck, what if I made this like uh, free and I made a clone of it and maybe it's going to get really popular. Hmm. But that's a very wrong end goal to have because first of all, you don't have the problem. Second of all, it's solved. You just have to pay for it. So why are you wasting your time just cloning something and making it for free? So that's goal number one. And then second goal would be like, I want to make money so they would see someone being successful and they're driven by the goal i want to make a lot of money and in everything that i've done so far whether it's like freelancing doing workshops whatever whenever i've never been driven by the money goal it's just when you're super passionate about something like when i started teaching when i did my first workshop i was like this is the most amazing feeling ever so i'm teaching people and like the feedback that you get and everything and i was driven by how can i take my knowledge and just Uh, go to like conferences, companies and so on and just teach people. But the money was not the end goal because when you have money as an end goal, I don't think you can, you're going to burn out pretty quickly Mm. because when your goal is money, you're not going to get them quickly. You're not going to get them in one week, two weeks, one month, two months. And then you might get depressed. You might get like, um, you might feel like you're not achieving anything. And when you're driven by solving the problem, when you really, really want to solve the problem, it's easier to work on it. So everyone is asking me, why are you, why are you still working on CZ? Like you launched it, it's pretty successful. The sales are going up, you don't do any marketing, you don't do any ads and Mm -hmm. the sales are just going up. So why are you still working on it? So the answer is simple as before I started this and when I started it, I wanna make it into something that I would use daily without any problems. And now that it's actually used by a lot of users, I can see way more potential in mm-hmm. how it can be used how it can be applied like every day people come up with a different kind of usage for it and i'm so passionate to like solve their problem so mm-hmm. when i'm working on it like if you believe me for the entire summer i don't know how it passed by i haven't left this chair literally <laughs> like wake up 6am start working 7am work until like 8 9am go to the gym go to sleep it's been for the entire summer mm-hmm. and if my if it my goal if, if my goal was money i would just achieve that goal in the first week like the app made a lot of money and i would be like okay now i'm not passionate about this Mm -hmm. that's it but even if we right now if we convert it to a free product again i would be so passionate to just work on it 24 7 because now i'm not solving just my own problem i get emails like oh my god something that we spend like four hours on in our qa team now we're spending like five to ten minutes on it so when you get that kind of feedback it's easier to be persistent and and work on something. So so yeah, the answer to your question is, I think a lot of developers are driven by these wrong goals, like GitHub stars and fame and popularity and money. And I I, Mm. I think that's not going to take you very far.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd love to touch a little bit more on uh, the whole idea of having a passion for something you're working on. Um, I I do wanna circle back in a little bit to the whole aspect of marketing, because as you mentioned, you're not uh, really doing any marketing. I'd love to to circle back to that. But uh, before we get there, in terms of passion, I, I think a lot of developers, uh, they hear that message and they think, man, there's just not really anything that I'm super passionate about working on. Yeah. And so I'm curious, like when you started with Sizzy or any of the products that you've got, was it like a super big passion right out of the gate? Or was it something that kind of more so developed as you were working on it and and developed into a passion as you went?
1: I, I think it's more the, the second, develop, developing it into a passion because you cannot be like burning with passion the moment we come up. you come up with this idea. But right. the moment when I thought of it, like, wait, what if I solve this problem? And then it just builds up as people are reacting, like as you get feedback, like a tweet. Uh, when I got like the most basic version after one hour of working on it, I tweet about it. Like, mm. what do you think of this? Do you need it? And then when you see like 200, 300 likes and people are like, yes, we need it. And you're like, yeah, I'm solving the right problem for me and for 300 people now. And then as the audience grows, as the feedback grows, you're solving the problem on a bigger scale and so so does your passion grow. But I I still think that it starts with that being your own problem because you know what you're solving. Mm -hmm. Because if you sit and you're like, hmm, what can I be randomly passionate about and what random problem in the world that I can solve? You you will find thousands of problems but you don't have it yourself and you're not an expert at the problem. So I don't think you're gonna give the, the proper solutions. To, to like work on yeah it. that's so interesting right because there's like there's an endless uh,
0: variety of problems that we can uncover in the world that might uh, have a good solution that we could build for it through software um, but unless you're really invested. In the problem space initially, um, it's hard to. I think it probably there are a couple of things. It's hard to sustain yourself through the whole cycle of you know coming up with the the, the product and building it and all that. But also you just don't. I don't think you have good like a good uh, gauge on you know what is actually needed for the product, and yeah. you can't really empathize with the audience really because you're not part of that you know ecosystem community whatever. You don't actually have that problem yourself. And I've seen this in various places. I don't know if you're a follower of like uh, Nathan barry on uh online he does like a lot of product stuff he's got uh his company is convert kits um he does uh yeah. So he does a lot of this stuff. And I remember like I followed him for a while when he was first setting out to build, he he set this like challenge for himself, this, this challenge to build a web app. Um, and he, he said, you know, he was thinking about doing something in, in various different spaces, like uh, an app for dentists or lawyers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody gave him the advice, I think it was Amy Hoy gave him the advice to work on something that he Uh, himself would use much like you've done um and a problem that he has and and so anyway look to where he's got now i mean they do i think 20 million uh annually in sales like it's just i i think there's so much value in just focusing on your own problem space um so that I think that's great advice. The uh, the thing I wanted to touch on about marketing is y- you've said you've not done any real marketing, so I'm assuming no <clears throat> no ads anywhere really, no kind of money spent trying to get customers. Um, how does the word get out uh, about Sizzy? Uh, I, I see it through Twitter. Is that kind of the the main channel? Or yeah, how else does yeah. That so I,
1: I cannot say that it's completely without marketing because I have almost twenty thousand followers, so definitely it. But I wanted to say without any paid marketing. Right. So the only marketing that I've done it was like two or three weeks ago but that was way after the launch we didn't have anything with the initial like um, initial launch I sponsored one newsletter the I I don't know which newsletter it was someone reached out and then I was like okay let's try this and honestly I was so busy with building things that I even forgot to check the analytics if the newsletter actually brought customers or not so At first when I launched the app, I was obsessed with all the analytics, how many people are on the site, how much money did we make today. And then as the email started pouring in and people were like, oh, can you do this? You can also add this. I kind of fell back into the let's build and let's just build 24 seven. Forget the analytics, forget the investors, forget anything else. I think the best marketing is building a new feature, tweeting about it. And then if the feature is good enough, people are going to retweet it and you get like this organic reach, you get this like organic marketing without paying. So I could have done in this last two months, I think it's launched for already two months and I could have like spend my time and energy onto building like partnerships and paying for ads and designing Instagram ads and making YouTube videos and stuff. But instead, like I spent my entire day, like me and my employee. I have one employee, as I mentioned in the article, we spent all of our, all of our time just building. So I'm trying to spend as less time in the day doing like emails and customer support and stuff like that. I spend most of the time building, fixing things, adding new features. And I think like, yeah, via Twitter, I can easily just say, hey, look what we added. And then people start retweeting it. So it's like a combination of the thing that you add has to be good enough. So it has to be something that people would wanna tweet about to be like, wow, this is amazing and it's not like you can just tweet about it if you have 200 followers you must reach for ads and partnerships Mm -hmm. and sponsorships and and stuff like that but i'm planning to do that after we get the app to where i want it to be Mm -hmm. and yeah of course i would like like a bigger reach and i would like even more customers and like this was marketed as the the brow the responsive design browser that was the first tagline but now i changed the headline into something that i believe that i'm going to convert this to and now it's the browser for designers and developers. So Mm. if you're a developer working on a web app, whether it's responsive or not responsive, I want this to be the preferred tool instead of Google Chrome on something else. Because there's, when you have something that's specific to a certain niche, like when you make something specific for designers and developers, there's so many things that you can add that neither like Chrome or Firefox or anyone else, they're not planning to add these things. Like it's a browser first with some dev things on the side. So when I get it to where I want it to be, like to this 1.0 version that I'm looking forward to, then I'm gonna start investing a bit more in ads and marketing and partnerships and stuff like that. And I think it's been pretty good that we have done with just one sponsored newsletter so far. It's been going pretty, yeah. pretty good. It seemed, and yeah, it one seems more thing, like I, I think I mentioned this in the article and a lot of founders and people who are launching stuff can use this. When I tweeted the initial tweet, I made a video, so I spent like couple of days recording this video and mm-hmm. cutting it and zooming it. So it's like straight to the point, two minutes, yep. not a 15 minute intro, with all the major features of the app. Yeah. And when I tweeted it, I tweeted with the video plus a Twitter giveaway. So I said, mm-hmm. uh, for, I don't know, I, I think we gave away, we were supposed to give away three lifetime licenses. So like retweet this and you might win a lifetime license. And then when it got like 5k retweets and I was like, it's pretty stupid to give only three. So instead of three, we gave away 30. Nice. So I think that's the easiest thing you can do. You're not going to lose anything like three licenses, 30, 50, 100. It's nothing yeah. compared to how much reach that tweet is going to give you. And it's not a hard thing to do. Like just record a video, said that you're giving away licenses and that's like the best free marketing you can get when you're, yeah. when you're launching
0: something totally that's that's really cool I never considered that actually giving away like a free copy of something because it's no cost to you I mean it's yeah. there's no no marginal cost to uh, you know another copy so that's that's great advice um, I think I might might write that one down for for future product plans um, the yeah. uh, you know the, the video itself is great it, it like you said two minutes showed all the major features really quick zooming in and out and all across the application man that's yeah. got to be the best way to demonstrate the value of a product yeah. uh, in in a uh, quick uh, time frame. And I remember, I think I'm remembering this correctly, that like when Dropbox way back, I don't know when that would have launched, was it like 2010 or 2011 or something? Mm-hmm. Dropbox, when they first launched, it was hard for uh, them to demonstrate the value to people when people would just be reading about it. People were doubtful yeah. about what it was doing, but it wasn't until they did like a product demo video that just yeah. showed like short, showed like the major features people started to get it at that point it was like it clicked people were like okay I, I understand what the value is let's go try it out so uh another great piece of advice do a, do a demo uh if you can a demo video um i'd love to yeah. chat about the pricing structure because it's a bit a little bit unique perhaps for the kind of product that Sizzy is you do uh you do a monthly recurring fee for your yeah. licenses um why that structure as opposed to kind of a one-time purchase price for the download and then maybe like a, you know, a smaller fee to upgrade later on?
1: Yeah, I was like, after the initial launch, like now, if you ask me, I probably would have went with Sketch's model where you buy the app for 99 per year. And then if you want the new updates that are coming next year, you want to, for, for example, I purchased Sketch a couple of years ago, and now I just upgraded my license because I needed to open some new files. So I think that's a very good model. But when I started building it, I was too busy doing a lot of things that I wasn't even thinking. So that was just the last thing that like after everything was said and done, like my literally the last task on my, on my board was figure out the pricing. Mm-hmm. So I already had the structure for re- recurring monthly pricing and I was sure like, we made it monthly because I was planning to work on it every day after the launch. It's been mm-hmm. two months and there hasn't been a day where we're not working very hard on this. So I was like, we're gonna make it a subscription first. Second, it's gonna be a very cheap subscription. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you buy it annually, it's $5 per month. And if you calculate the hours that's, that it's gonna save you while you're working during that month to you or your team, it's, it's cheap. It's basically Mm -hmm. free. It's going to make you money at the end of the day. And it's recurring because we decided we're going to put like, even if I personally stop working and developing on it, I'm still going to lead a team and expand the team. And I'm going to make sure that it's getting better and better and better. And it brings you more value. So That's why I chose to make it a subscription as opposed to like a one-time payment. and, And that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, and it's interesting because, and so I, I guess I'm touching on an area of the article uh, that you go into where uh, you talk about the haters and and what the haters yeah. have to say, and and these are these are things that I I remember seeing in sort of the threads that were happening about Sizzy when when you launched it the the current no. incarnation, and I remember thinking like. It's so weird because if this were a product that was delivered through the web, people probably yeah. wouldn't have this like sense that oh, I, I shouldn't be paying monthly for it. Like people, people have this idea yeah. that SaaS software that's delivered through the web should be a monthly fee, but something that you download and install. Download, yeah. It's weird, right? Like you shouldn't be paying monthly for something that you download once and install. I don't know why that is, but, uh, but anyway, the, the haters, uh, as you put them, you know, they're saying things like, you know, why isn't this free? Why, why are we paying monthly? It's too expensive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you know, I think there's many reasons why people who have those opinions are, are wrong about their opinions, uh, in, in my opinion, because, you know, like you said, people are going to be saving time and money. They're going to be making money from, from yeah. a product like this. Right. Um, People, I think, who are putting products out into the world, they're going to hear the haters um, yeah. from time to time. What do you think we should be doing as creators uh, when haters' voices kind of become louder? What's What's your advice to people who are putting products out when when the haters start to make noise?
1: That's why I wrote that. Basically, that's the main reason that I wrote this that article, just so other like builders and people who build products and makers and indie hackers, whatever. They can be turned off by this kind of comments. So if you're someone who's about to launch something and you go to product hunt or indie hackers and you see somebody else has paid product and most of the comments are this should be free. I can build this myself and this should be instead of five, it should be four dollars. Like, who are you to estimate like the value and the worth of something that I've built? You have no idea how I build that. So I was afraid that a lot of makers would read the comments and then they would be like, oh, I'm about to launch this product. Maybe I should make it for free because this guy's product didn't succeed. And man, nobody wants to pay for this. And people feel guilty for charging for their work. And it's super weird to me. And the reality of it is is what I'm saying in the article. People who can see that this will bring them a lot of value and actually make them money, just buy it immediately. So literally in the first day, we had teams who signed up annually. So they were like, Oh my god we need this they just do the math in their head this is going to make us money and they buy it and they're silent they don't go on product hunt they don't go on twitter they don't publicly rant about it they just buy it and move on but people who are like don't plan to use it or might have a use case for it once per year those are the ones who are allowed on the internet and now they don't have anything else to do and now they're discussing with you and telling you hey but did you know that there's this other product from like seven years ago that does something similar Like. There are a couple of Chrome extensions that were literally launched five to seven years ago, and they just have the most basic functionality of like previewing responsive design. And someone's going to be like, Why would I pay for this when I could use this from seven years ago? And then I learned not to reply and be like, Yeah, if you want to use that, just feel free to use it because this doesn't happen in real life you don't see people going somewhere in a physical like store or starbucks or a supermarket and being like hey why is this shirt ten dollars i can make my own for five dollars it's only happening on the internet and it's only affecting makers on the internet it's it's not happening anywhere else so i wanted to be the voice for people like hey if you put your time and especially money because I was paying an employee for a couple of months from my own money, basically, if I put my own money and time, I decide what's going to be the price for the product. Even if I make it 99 per year, you could be like, oh, this is expensive. It's not for me. I don't make that much money to buy this. Okay, moving on with life. But the reality is everyone has an opinion and those people are way, way louder. So it's hard to ignore at first. You, you definitely need uh, every maker that I've talked to has gone through this process. First you reply to everyone then you're trying to justify your pricing then you're trying to compare yourself to the competitors and be like we are better because of this we are better because of that and then eventually you learn you know what it's better for me to focus on the customers who already bought the product and just focus on their needs on what they want what they need than to focus on the people who might never get the product but they love arguing online so that would be the final advice even if you get like two customers and 200 haters just focus on the two customers and maybe you'll make a third and fourth but don't try to convert the haters into customers unless they have a very good proposal or they're being reasonable with what they say so they're not attacking you but they're like hey have you considered this other thing that might be so if they have like a friendly tone and they want to discuss then i would go into discussion whether it's twitter product hunt but if they're attacking like, who are you to attack my product, my opinion, my price? Like, I'm not even going to reply and just, just move on. So yeah. that would be,
0: yeah. That's great. Yeah, there's no shortage of uh, product uh, critiquers, I guess you could, you could call yeah. them. People who are, you know, do nothing but just like kind of tell you, tell you what they think is wrong with what you've built. Um, yeah. So like you said, focus on the people who are purchasing or who are happy or the people who have good advice. Because I think so, if somebody's coming at you with like the kind of tone that the haters do, they're, they're never going to be the kinds of people you really want yeah. to do business with anyway, right? Um, they're just gonna suck the life out of what you're doing. So great advice. Um, you mentioned something that uh, you've also touched on in the article. That is that developers often feel guilty charging money for what they produce, and this is something that I'd really love to dig into because um, you know I get the sense that there's almost that there's like sort of two camps uh, in the developer world. There's the developers who you know they build open source or they work for companies, um, and they really like you know they they love what they do. They love they love programming. And they can't imagine ever, like, charging money for something that they do outside of maybe getting paid a salary or whatever. Yeah. Um, at least that's that's what I kind of, like, globally, I sort of assess. The other camp is people who know they've got the skills to turn, um, you know, their, their work into a profit-generating business, uh, if they're so inclined, right? Um, but there's a lot of people who just maybe aren't so inclined to do that. Maybe they don't want to get into business. They're just they don't have the interest. But but beyond that, there's this sense that I get that people in the developer world think that it's like somehow wrong to make money off of like what yeah. they're building yeah. and and the skills that they have. Um, do you see that? And why do you think that is?
1: I've heard this phrase so many times. It's awkward. It's weird for me, and I feel bad for charging. Mm. This doesn't happen in any other industry. Just try to open, try, try to explain open source to, to one of your relatives who are not into IT. They're, they're gonna think that you're crazy. Yeah. I tried explaining it to my sister and my mom, like when I started open sourcing stuff, and they were like, wait, so you're working for other people for free? <laughs> yeah, but it's not like that, you know, It's a, how is it different? <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a different topic. I think you, we can make like 10 podcasts on like open source sustainability and stuff like that. Yeah. And as I said in the article, there are people who live from open source there are a lot of companies and people who are playing open source right but 99.9 of the people who do open source they work for free yeah and i think the reason the main reason why they're not converting into a free product and so on is just being in a comfort zone that's it it's not nothing more complex than that because to me for for me to open source CZ it took like literally five minutes i have some code i open source it people can download it that's it but in order to package it and actually sell it as a product it took months like everything from the license generation to like the back ends the payment hooks whatever it is it takes months so when people just visualize ahead what lies ahead of them in terms of what i got on my computer to getting to how am i going to sell this the path is very scary and that's where where the thoughts are coming in like oh maybe i feel guilty for charging maybe it's weird i'm not going to i'm not going to charge for it so i don't think that it's because people are saints and developers are very considered and stuff. I think it's just the comfort zone of open sourcing things. And then you get a bunch of feedback and likes and GitHub stars, and then you get into that loop where you basically, um, you're getting like this dopamine rush every time you get a lot of stars, you get a lot of likes, you get a lot of retweets, and Mm. that gets like, that satisfies you to some point but I think people shouldn't stop there. Like a- as I mentioned in the article, it's so easy to build stuff nowadays. Like you don't have to yeah. be a genius. You don't have to be like a. I. I was never a full stack developer, but in the last couple of years with all these services and GraphQL and stuff, it's like, you don't have many excuses to say that I cannot do everything mm-hmm. from marketing to sales, to ads, to backend, to front. I think anyone who's like good enough to do a simple landing page can be the person who can build a product, a backend payment system and everything else. It's just a matter of, like whether you have the excuse or whether, I think it's just excuses and comfort zones. Yeah. And it's very, very like used in our industry to like use those excuses and not wanna get out of your comfort zone and then blame it on, uh, it's weird and it doesn't feel right.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. And that's the sense that I was actually getting as I, so I, I was reading some of the uh, kind of responses to the article, not in Medium where the article is published, but in places like Reddit and Hacker News. And so many Was of the it responses. Is Reddit? I didn't. Yeah, I there's didn't a Reddit know. link. Uh, well, I'll send it to you, and then we, we can link it up if, if you want to. Uh, okay. Yeah. Check it out, and we can link it up if you want to. But yeah, there's a Reddit thread about it, and uh, it's you know going in many of the responses there. They talk it's people who are doing open source talking about how yeah they haven't ever really made money from their open source pro uh, you know projects um but nothing that i was reading really got into how a- any kind of inkling that these people might want to build a product uh that is for sale right that it's yeah. it's really more about how people are just kind of like upset about the fact that, you know, they are, they've been doing open source for so long and they really haven't seen any returns aside from, you know, maybe notoriety or or usage in some big company or stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the problem is, as the article title says, GitHub stars aren't going to pay your rent. Um, So, if there are folks out there who are doing lots of open source and they're starting to feel maybe even a little bit burnt out by it and they, they do want to produce something that that can pay the rent, um, what's a good way to start to do that?
1: So I wouldn't say that you should completely ditch open source. I'm definitely still doing open source. I'm open sourcing small libraries and helpers and stuff that, I, that I'm using across projects. But don't devote like your life and basically 24-7 to just doing open source. So don't don't get hooked. To the stars and everything and followers and because when you fall into that loop and you're doing service for 20 libraries and you're like you have twenty thousand users you're basically going to work a lot for free so definitely when you're starting open source can give you a lot of recognition so you brought me a lot of me, personally, it got me a lot of followers, it got me recognition and everything, so I can have a jump start When I'm working on products, I already have followers. So just find a good mix when you're working on something. For example, when I made Twizzy, which is the the app for Twitter DMs, I couldn't open source it because it was paid, but I open sourced the entire landing page, and then except open sourcing it, I just explained the entire landing page in the README. So if people are like, wow, these animations and the interaction, the Easter eggs are very cool, then they can read how I built everything. So then the landing page, which is open source, does marketing for the paid tool, which is paid. So finding, I don't know how they would go about starting because as I said, you you first have to find a problem. But what I did might sound weird to some, like you have a product, it's on GitHub, it's open source. Suddenly you close it, you improve on it. Like the code that we have now has mostly nothing to do with the code that was on GitHub. So it's not like we took a lot of contributions and then we just stole people's code and just sell it. So it it sounds very wrong to close your open source project and then start selling it. But so many people reached out privately on Twitter with literally the problem that I had. Now they have the same thing. They're like, I build the fastest, I don't know, file index search thingy, whatever. And it's used by that many users and companies. But even these big big companies don't want to donate. What should I do? And I answer with, have you even read the article? (laughs) Like, just listen to the advice of what I've done. Eventually, you're being burned out. You're working for other people. People don't appreciate the time that you spend on this, but they're still using your product. Close the open source product. Try to like open source a part of it maybe or write an article about what you learned or whatever and then start selling it. There's Mm -hmm. no, like, as I said, my donations link was like very visible on the page, in the tool, like everywhere you couldn't miss the donations link. Mm -hmm. 10,000 users each month. And in like, two and a half years, it made $90. So it's not yeah. like people didn't see it. They were like, oh, it's paid already, so whatever. I'm yeah. just not gonna, I mean, it's free already, I'm not gonna pay for it. Why So do you people, think... have the, people have this hope that, yeah, but if I wait a couple more months, maybe the donations will magically start pouring right. in, and that's not the reality. Like,
0: no. What, yeah. Why is it that you think that people generally uh, don't donate to open source? Why do why don't companies give money to the open source uh creators uh whose projects they're using in their products to make money themselves?
1: Because it's free. I don't I don't think it's more complex than just basic human nature. Yeah. I think that's it. It's not just open source as that open source is the problem. I think it's just human nature. When they give you something for free like you're, you're walking on a street fair and they give you a burger to taste or something, would you be like, no, 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 I, I feel bad for this. Here's $5. <laughs> no, you're gonna be like, oh my God, this is a tasty burger. Thank you so much. And I, I think like, uh, we started connect, someone pointed out in the article that open source doesn't equal that something should be free. And I have an, exam, uh, an example of, uh, of Greg from Insomnia, which is this tool for inspecting network requests and stuff, mm-hmm. who has like Insomnia is completely open source but he has a paid version of the tool for teams who want like cloud sync and stuff like that. So there are a bunch of projects which are open source but also paid, mm-hmm. but somehow it became very popular that open source should always be free and that we deserve it to be free.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. even though they build a lot of solution, like there's this thanks package where you can write thanks in your terminal and it gives you which libraries are you using across your projects and which libraries do you, they basically want to guilt you into like donating to all of these libraries. But at the end of the day, like your basic human brain is like, well, it's free and I'm already paying for Photoshop. I already have expenses, I have to pay the the gas bill, whatever, why would I donate $5 to that guy? And basically you're depending, all of your projects depend on like five open source libraries, so. Yeah, totally.
0: I think, you know, from my estimation, I think people will be surprised at how much money they can pull in just by virtue of taking an existing project that they know people are using Packaging yep. it and putting a price tag on it i think like I think people have done that yep. to great success in the, in the past where they say you know what, I'm just gonna start charging money for it. Um, much yeah. like, like like you've done, right? And uh, so yeah, if you're out there, you're getting burnt out on your open source, if you wanna start making money, try something simple. Just package it up, put a price sticker on it and see what happens. I think that's, uh, you know. yeah. Right. Un-
1: unless like it's a generic library. So we're talking mm-hmm. about yeah. products, like apps versus right. libraries. Cause I see like these big and popular libraries, like I don't know, Babel and MobX and, and whatever. They're, they're making money because they're libraries. You cannot take the library and package it and make it exactly. pay. But on the other hand, I've seen this like, um, um, what was his name? Uh, Rick something. I cannot pronounce his Dutch surname. He's working on an image uploader. It started literally as the simple, I think it's called Doka or something. It started okay. as the most basic like image uploader. You can drag an image and it had an animation Then that's it. But I've been following his work for one and a half years and now is the most crazy image uploader that you can find like ever. And he started paying for it, uh, like charging for it for a license, which we're not seeing a lot in open source. If you make an image uploader, which is a library for React, you feel that it should be free because it's a library. It's not an app. It's not something that people download. It's an image plugin. It's a gallery plugin. It's a drag and drop plugin. It's a resize plugin. It should be free. He was like, no, 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 I'm gonna make it the most quality image uploader with the craziest mm-hmm. transformations, animations, features and stuff, but it's gonna be paid. And now he's pulling in, I think around, he, he tweeted something like 3K per month wow. from a library. So it doesn't mean that you can make money only from products, you can definitely charge when you make a, a cool library that people are gonna use in their code.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's really cool. Um, you know what I'd love to touch on is, I, I think I remember seeing a tweet that you put out uh, about uh, investors approaching you, now that Sizzy has, has gained some popularity, investors ap- yeah. approaching you wanting to invest uh, in Sizzy as a company. Um, what are your thoughts on bootstrapping as you've done versus taking some money to develop a product business uh, further? And uh, do you have, any, have, you, have you made any decisions about uh, where to go with those offers?
1: Yeah, so before I launched this version of CZ, I got a couple of offers from companies who wanted to buy the app. So while it was a web app, I got like mails that said, hey, we love your extension, we love your web app, we would like to buy it, monetize it, can we do that? I didn't want to do it. Then I also got an offer from investors before like launching the new version where like, we would give you a lot of money for this, but we have like one thing that we want you to do. And we had a call and the one thing they wanted from me is drop everything else and just focus on CZ. And back then I wasn't prepared. Even now, I'm still gonna do workshops. I have a couple of other projects that I'm launching soon. So I don't wanna be restricted and building one thing. So I, I just rejected investors, even though I, I don't know the names of these companies. I don't even, I'm not even going too deep into that. But they, they've invested in Dropbox and Twitter and and I don't know which were the other companies, but when I saw them, their portfolio, I was like, wow, this is like a huge investment company. And then I was like, but I don't want to spend my time just building CZ. I don't want anyone controlling what I do with my time. So now when I'm getting, I think I'm on my sixth offer. I should have another meeting next week. And I think I'm doing these meetings in vain. Basically I'm just wasting my time because what they want you is, what they want is to invest money and then they control how you do the growth and how you do the things basically. Like more or less we would be like in partner relationship, but I feel it's going to be like they're the boss Mm. and then I don't have freedom in what I build and how I take the product further. So I think for now that I'm not gonna accept any offer because especially the growth without marketing has been going like pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And when the, when I cannot find a way to grow it myself with my own marketing, with my own team, with with bootstrapping it, maybe I would consider, but that would be like the last thing that, that comes to mind. Just because of the feeling that I don't want someone controlling what we do and how do we grow it and what features do we add and what do we focus on.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: It's something that I think
0: about a lot because you know, there's there's kind of, I don't know, maybe there's there's two patterns roughly, right? There's like, if you take investments, you're expected to have like a high growth company um, yeah. that returns a certain amount to the investor. So you've really gotta be pushing and growing and hiring and, and developing your product quickly. And then there's the bootstrapping approach where you can just like, you know, almost take your time, do what you want. So you don't really have to answer to anyone. Maybe growth happens more slowly, but you have full control. It's maybe less stressful. Um, do you, have, do you have the kinds of ambitions that a lot of people have where they want to do a high growth company or do you gravitate more towards like the bootstrapping approach for the long run?
1: Well, I want both. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if yeah. it's possible, but I want a bootstrap company and I want this product to to reach like every developer ever. Yeah. So I don't know if it's possible and I'm going to test it when I start doing marketing. Uh, basically, the thing that prevents me from doing marketing right now, is a weird bug in Electron. So that okay. sounds pretty silly but for now you cannot dock the dev tools in CZ. And that's a major oh, deal breaker okay. for a lot of developers who wanna use it for like active development. Huh. So until Electron allows you to dock the dev tools wherever you want in your app, I'm not gonna invest in marketing. Cause okay. when I'm gonna do marketing, it's gonna be like, I want people who buy the app to stay with the app and to be like, okay, this is not only a replacement for Chrome, but it's actually 10 times better. Right. And I'm gonna try with, I don't have like marketing skills and I wasn't, like studying or anything, I'm not watching any courses, but I, I have some like natural sense for for doing marketing. So I'm gonna try as much as I can to push it as far as I can. And when I see that I like, I like with one investors that I talked to, they were like, "Look, we see that you wanna be independent. We see that you wanna keep this only with yourself and with your team. But what we're gonna tell you is try to do some marketing, find a marketing channel that works for you. Let's say it's YouTube ads. And then if you're putting like ten thousand dollars per month on you to to like for buying YouTube ads, we're gonna be we're not asking anything from you, we're just gonna give you more money to put into YouTube apps. So we're not gonna drive your decisions for what you're building, how are you doing it and stuff, but we're just gonna pour 10 times more money into the channel that you found that works for you. So as I said, I I think when I'm gonna reach a certain point where I cannot grow by myself with my own skills, with my team, then I'm gonna reach for an investment because I think it's a pity that something that can save so much time for developers doesn't reach every developer. Like right now, when I'm looking at the map, The pedal, the tool that I'm using for like selling it has an interactive map and you can hover countries and see how many sales you have. Most of the sales are coming from US and UK, but when you hover some random country like Denmark, you get like four sales. Hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, wait, like this is a huge country and how many developers are there? How many developers heard of it? And only four developers use it. So Hmm. until I see all of those countries like populated with thousands of sales, I am
0: not gonna stop. That's great. I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, because I think there seems to be, at least from what I've observed, there seems to be sort of these two camps of people when it comes to doing products. It's like the bootstrap camp that says like VCs and in taking investment. That's like totally no, VCs are evil, that kind of thing. And then there's the other side, which says, you know, that's kind of a necessary thing to, to grow. So you're keeping your options open and, and sort of uh, testing the waters as you go, which I think is, is a great thing to do. Yeah. Um, I'd love to chat about if you're you're up for it. Uh, kind of the the kind of range of, of uh, money that that Sizzy's pulling in. I, I think in the article you mentioned how many um, how many down or subscribers I guess you've got, and so I'm sure people could e- extrapolate from there what what kind of uh, money's coming in. If if you're up for talking about it, uh, that'd be awesome. But if not, we don't have to. Um, but if you are, I think people would love to know
1: what kind of uh, range this kind of product can bring in. Well yeah, as I said, I wouldn't go too deep into this topic, but and it's not exactly the most basic math to extrapolate because we have a couple of plans. So mm. you have like a team plan, you have trio plan, and more or less like I, I didn't wanna I, I'm still not sure if I wanna do this completely transparent mm. and talk of I was like on the verge when when you publish a product on indie hackers you also have to specify or connect to Stripe about how much money exactly you're making. Right. And I wasn't sure I'm still not sure whether I make wanna make it one hundred percent transparent. Mm -hmm. but I think right now we're sitting around 1,900 or 800 or 900 users. Nice. And some of those users are on different plans. Some of them have like 10 10, uh, machines they can activate, some of them three, some of them one. But yeah, the growth has been, everyone that I talk to, like people who know about this stuff, people who've built products or people who are helping people build products, when they hear the numbers, they're like, wait, do you have some secret marketing channel that you were doing? Because we don't see this thing usually happening for less than a year. Usually this kind of growth happens like after an, an year of investing in the marketing and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think like, I don't wanna make it sound like all of this success happened in like one or two months because mm-hmm. the app was live for two and a half years. So mm-hmm. for two and a half years, people have been using the web app. And I'm assuming now is the summer. And as people are coming back from vacations, they're trying to open the web app and they're like, oh crap, now this is paid. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming most of the people who are previously relying on that now are like, oh, whatever, $5, I'm gonna get it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't wanna make it sound like in two months we did a miracle and something magical happened, but still the growth has been been pretty good.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important thing for people to remember is like, what might seem like an overnight success very often is the result of years of work leading up to it. If not years of work on the product specifically, it's years of work for the creators. You know, gaining a following, uh, yeah. proving that they can add value uh, to people, gaining gaining people's trust, right? Uh, stuff like yeah. that. So it takes it takes a while. So if, uh, as I'm sure maybe you experienced early on, it's like if you aren't getting traction or if people just aren't really seeming to care right off the bat, don't let that stop you and crush your product dreams outright. Because it takes a while to to get this stuff done.
1: Yeah, especially if you haven't built the network upfront. So maybe if I launched two years ago, the effect wouldn't have been the same as the launch now, even if it was the same product. I think, yeah, it took a lot of time for me to build my network and the trust and the following and everything. And I think they have a huge role. When you have like at least 10 people who have 20, 30, 50, 60,000 followers, and then just they retweet your product, you get like marketing for free, but it's not easy to get those people to be your followers. So the right. overnight success that people see, as you said, like it's actually years and years and years of work before it that led up to the to the success. Absolutely. Great,
0: well, you know what, that's probably a good point to start wrapping up on. Um, do you have any advice maybe that you wanted to impart before you go for uh, people who want to do something similar, get into the product space, build something for themselves that they can then market and sell to others? Uh, any Any advice on how to get started beyond what we've already talked about?
1: Anything beyond, I think I would still add to the first point of the thing that we opened with, like solve your own problem. I want to mention that when I say this, probably most of the listeners would be like, yeah, I would solve this like tiny problem I have. Let's say they have some problem for cable management, like they, they have a solution for cable management, or they have a silly menu bar app for counting how many weeks you have until you die or something like that looks like a super niche problem that only you have. And when they listen to me, be like, oh, just solve your problems. And we're like, yeah, dude, but you have a really cool problem. My problem is not that cool. So the advice would be, no matter how silly your problem looks, trust me that there are thousands of people who have that same problem. I think that no one has a problem that's unique. And nowadays, whatever solution you're, you're doing for, like it wasn't like this five, 10 years ago. If you're, now, if you're passionate about strawberries or like Pokemon or baseball card or something super old school, you can start a YouTube channel and talk about strawberries and it can blow up and it can bring you more money than a surgeon is making. So the advice would be, however silly or specific or niche your problem looks, still try to solve it, find the right forum. So it might not always be Twitter. So just to continue with the stupid example with the strawberries, you might go on Twitter and be like, hey guys, I'm trying to do a solution about strawberries. And if your following is mostly consisted of developers, they're gonna be like, nah, nobody cares about this. Don't even bother. So find the right forum. It doesn't have to be Twitter, Facebook. It might be some like niche website where people are discussing about your problem, but don't give up after your, your first feedback or your closest friends or your mom who's gonna say, no, I don't sound like this. I don't sound like, it. this doesn't sound like you're solving anything important. So yeah, let's wrap up with that. Every problem is important, solve it. And that's it,
0: I guess. I think that's great advice. The app is Sizzy. You can find it at Sizzy.co. We're going to link that up along with everything else uh, in the show notes. Um, man, it's been really awesome chatting with you today. Thank you for taking the time to to do this and uh, talking about your journey. I think people are gonna get some uh, real great advice from this. Some some real great nuggets. So much appreciated. Um, where can people find you online?
1: Um. Thank you very much. First of all, thank you for inviting me. It's been pretty fun for me. And they can find me online on Twitter mostly, so it's twitter.com slash thekitze, and I'm vlogging my journey on YouTube, so it's youtube.com slash kitze. Awesome, and again, we'll
0: link that all up. Uh, thanks again so much, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. You'll be able to find show notes, including links to all the resources that Kitsay mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you've got any feedback about the show, if you want to suggest a future guest, or if you just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. You can say hi on Twitter at twitter.com coderpodcast Also, if you enjoyed this episode, and if you feel so inclined, it would be great if you could leave a review and subscribe. But if not, no hard feelings. Until next time, happy hacking.